0: We are super excited to share with you today's Best of the Faculty Factory podcast. This is part two of a two-part series on writing great grants, and we will link to the first part in case you missed it in the description of today's episode. And as a friendly programming reminder, we'll be back in 2024 with brand new episodes of the Faculty Factory podcast. First up, we have Applying for Funding, Top 10 Things to Know with Dr. Donna Vogel. After that, we'll hear from Dr. Diana Williams talking about grant writing habits and hacks. And finally, we hear from Dr. Elise Weerts about writing the right grant. To all the faculty, factory, community, people out there, we love you. And we look forward to another great year in 2024.
1: Beware of the A word. That's overly ambitious. Ah now in the real world ambition is a good thing we all want to be ambitious we all want to get somewhere in life in a grant review in that summary statement it's a word you never want to see Mm -hmm. because what the reviewers are saying there is you have bitten off more than you can chew and or you have not shown feasibility. you've set out to do something that you have not demonstrated you're able to do so that's ambitious. It's something mm-hmm. you never want to see. The other things to watch out for. Sometimes the application instructions or the funding opportunity will say that something is encouraged. If something is encouraged, what that really means, and I'm mm-hmm. translating NIH speak here, mm-hmm. it really means it's required. Required. <laughs> But legally they're not allowed to say so. Uh So they're encouraging it, but they really want to see that. The flip side of that is, if it says that something must be strongly justified, avoid it like the plague. Do not do that thing. I think once in 13 years I saw somebody strongly justify something that was asked to be strongly justified and actually get a fundable score and succeed. By and large it means do not do this thing. Uh
2: huh, uh
1: huh. Know how the funding agency wants to spend its money and address that mission. Mm-hmm. You may have a great idea. But if you just throw it in and say, this is my great idea, and it doesn't fit with how the institute wants to spend its money, it will only succeed if it has an absolutely fabulous score. Mm -hmm. If it's a little lower down, you've got a chance of getting funded if it fits into a high-priority area for that institute, if it's NIH, or for that non-federal organization, the foundation, disease society, whatever it may be. All these operations have mission areas that they should be pretty explicit. Sometimes the NIH institutes will even put a notice in the guide saying, this is our list of high-priority topics for this coming year. Read those things and use them. It doesn't mean twist your best workaround so it fits their priority, because then you're not going to do well if you're changing right. what your best shot is. If your best shot matches up with them, great. If there's any way at all you can say in that application, you're, you're asking for this, I got that. Right. Put that right in there and remind them that you're doing what they want. And that's even more true, I would say, with non-federal funders, because they often have a very specific mission. And you might be responding to what they say on their website is what they want to do. But in that case, I would say, take a look at who they've actually funded. Mm -hmm. Look where their money is really going. And it may turn out that something that's on their list is not getting a, a lot of love. That's right.
3: And it, and, and, you- and just because you uh, want to do something that's near and dear to your heart and you feel like you're capitulating and giving in and chasing money and writing a, an application to do what they want doesn't mean that when you get the funding, you can't do what you want. Also, I'm not saying instead of, I'm saying also, you mm. say to them, I can do this. I have this. I have exactly what you want. Then mm-hmm. you get the funding and you find a way to leverage that to do or start doing what you want to do so it's a nice inroad so that's a great strategy Mm -hmm.
1: there are ways and finally and this is the most important thing talk to a human
3: (laughs) as opposed to
1: a dog (laughs) as As, as opposed to just reading the application Ah. information and doing what it says Because lots of times these things are confusing or poorly written or ambiguous, and you're going to have questions. Make sure you ask those questions of a knowledgeable person. And in the case of NIH or NSF, it's going to be your program official. The foundations and other non-federal funding sources have people with similar jobs who may not be called that. But always get in touch with the funder and ask them if what you're doing fits their mission or if you've applied to the right type of grant for somebody at your career stage. Because not every institute uses every single grant mechanism, mechanism, particularly the career development series and some of the other more out-of-the-way mechanisms, your small grants, some of the other highly innovative things, the institutes all use them differently.
2: That's
1: right. So make sure that the institute that is likely to fund you based on the scientific content of your work has the right mechanism for you at your career stage to do what you want to do because they don't always match up.
2: Isn't
3: that that's like so amazing when you tell people to contact the program officer, most people, ninety percent I'd say, look at you like, really? I don't want to bother them. They're so busy. Mm-hmm. And that is like basic one oh one grant writing. You want to build relationships with people. So just like you said, they might say, No, that's an interesting, you know, idea, but that's really not good for us. But wow, it's been fascinating. Your area of work might be really great for such and such or think Mm -hmm. about this so they're they're really you know they're scientists like you and they want their job is not to be gatekeeping and not giving out money they want to support and be successful and um, steward properly steward these research funds so I think people are always amazed when I say yeah get in touch with the program officer build a relationship with them when they when you go to professional conferences seek them out introduce Mm -hmm. yourself Uh, that's how you know you get those kind of inside information and people Mm -hmm. then put a face with a name and Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of things happen just by knowing people so I know you and I've talked many times over the years about like personality preferences and I'm an extrovert you're an introvert and I know this is maybe challenging for people who aren't (laughs) naturally inclined but and I know you've got lots of great talks and one of them is you know how to network in the professional societies and maybe we'll have you back on and talk about that but can you tell folks about like a strategy to getting up the courage to build those relationships and make those calls and talk to somebody you don't even know?
1: Well, actually, Kim, I think you've already given a lot of the answer for me, which is number one, remember they're scientists and you can talk science. Yeah. That's often easier than talking about a grant per se. You can talk about what you're doing and some of your your recent work and they love to do that
0: there was one more tip that i wanted to share that i think has really been helpful for me and i think it's really a simple tip well it sounds simple it's a little harder to implement sometimes but it's a writing strategy and i think that tip is to kind of write as plainly and simply as possible Mm -hmm. who wants to have their science just be just so easily understood by any kind of scientist and so some tips to kind of do that is to, I try to not put almost any abbreviations or as few as I can. HIV, of course, I'm going to abbreviate that. Everyone knows what that is, right? But my very, very, very specialized acronym, like in my field, we have PLWH, which is people living with HIV. In my field, you, you know what that means. But if you're not, that's going to be a lot of letters to remember. Right. And so I typically don't abbreviate it. I just spell it out every time. Uh And some people don't want to do that because it takes up more space. But I think it increases readability. And for me, that's more important because if the reviewers can easily understand stuff, I think it's going to give you a much better chance of getting funded. So that's one way to kind of help make it as plain as possible. Another thing is to get rid of all that scientific jargon and just write simply and plainly. I really think about writing for a lay audience, mm-hmm. meaning a non-scientific audience, just speaking to someone about my work. Right. And I try to write it such that it is just very crisp and clear and not too technical. Right. Another big thing I do is I don't try to fit in every single thing that I want to say or every single thing related to my topic. <laughs> I tell them only exactly what they need to know to understand my project. Or the proposal.
3: Wow. it's a lot of discipline to do that because you want to, we tend to want to impress everybody with well, that. They're they're exactly. Maybe I'm not smart if I don't use
0: big words. <laughs> exactly. I write very plainly and I just explain the scientific concepts rather than using super fancy words. Or if I have to define, you know, and use a phrase, uh, at least will define it and spell it out such that the phrase is an afterthought, but the concept they get kind of at the forefront. because
3: right. you're thinking about their re- these reviewers, like you said, they, they're they tired, they're exhausted, they're doing a lot, they may be not exactly the content expert in your field, and you're going to annoy them if they have to go find the legend or keep flipping back and forward or scrolling back in the text to find, what does that acronym mean? And you think, well, that's hard work, and I, I don't have the kind of time to do that. And it's, well, guess what? It's not about you. This You have to look at the reviewer. How seriously do you want to get funded? How this is not about your being, making your life easier. I like how you flip that and said, no, this is completely putting yourself in the reader's shoes and making it easy for them, making it a good experience that they, they actually feel good. Like, I understand what's going on here. I get this. And of course, your credentials and your bio sketch will amplify and justify the fact that, okay, you have earned credibility, you have papers, you obviously are smart, you don't need to speak Greek in your application. Mm -hmm.
0: That's exactly it. I think it's it's just so important to make sure that you make sure that they understand. I was just on study section and I reviewed a grant for someone in my field, which is a very, very niche area. And I had to read this grant five or six times to understand it because it was just... It's so, yeah. so hard to understand. Yeah.
3: I'm so glad you're pointing that out because that is such the mark of a good grant writer. When you, what's the point? To communicate. And if you can't communicate clearly, it makes me question your ability to get a lab together, get a team together, do the work, and then certainly publish and present the data in a way that's understandable. I get the tendency to want to drill down and and be heavy-minded and and thick with heavy thinking, but gosh, doesn't everything come down to communication? And if you can't, and you're making someone who's respected like you and obviously funded read a grant five times, oh my gosh, that says something not good about anybody's work. If I have to read it that many times, now I'm mad.
0: Exactly, exactly. And I think what it comes down to, kind of another strategy to have that very simple, easy, clear writing is to think about your grant as in you're telling a story, right. right? You're giving them everything they need to know to solve the logic. You're setting up the background information of your disease or what you're studying. You're giving them the relevant background, only what they have to know for your project, nothing else, just very, very focused on your particular issue at hand that you're going to focus on. You may give them some methods they understand your hypothesis. It just flows so naturally, such that by the time you get to your aims, it's kind of like, of course, like, this is the most rational, logical thing. Of course, she's going to study this because you've set it up so clearly that it just makes sense.
2: So just I want to share with you that we had surveyed a bunch of the people attending the K-to-R program about their difficulties in writing grants and actually having what was the best idea for the first grant? 80% of people said that they really didn't know. See? And what is what do they need the most help with? And that was refining their ideas. So if they had ideas to write a grant, they needed help in refining them. So that's the idea of backing up the train and just really thinking about what you're going to write. Yeah. And so you want, to, you want to think about the fact that what population are you studying? And, and is it the right population to study? What are what are the um, questions you're going to answer? And, and if you're... You know, focusing on a specific question, the population should start to come out at you um, as to how to get there. And if you don't have, you have data, if you don't have any data yet, then maybe an R01 is not the right grant to write. Maybe you need to write an R21 to get pilot data or an R03, a small, you know, grant. Um, the other thing is to read all the program announcements because a lot of times people um, can learn about what NIH is interested in from reading the program announcement because they tell you what they're interested in. Um, and I don't think people read them that much, <laughs> right?
3: Yeah, it's it's so overwhelming and, and intimidating a process. And as a scientist, that's our job is to collect data. So part of the literature review is not only uh, what is being done in this space about this specific research hypothesis; it's also all that other administrative documenting policy of this of the specific you know institute. All those things you're talking about and. And to me, it's the little bit, the relief is, or some of the relief to me comes from your telling us and my reminding myself, it's not all on you. So you don't have to figure this all out by yourself. Yes, it's incumbent upon you to do this. You have to do due diligence, but there are people out there who have done good grants and they've executed them and they've finished them and they have multiple grants and they are scientific officers and review officers and and there are people out there who even if they're not in your field can give you feedback and help you and question and ask you questions that would make you think well why'd you ask that question? And then it might make you go, oh, geez, if if she's asking that question, maybe somebody on the study section would also ask a question. So poking holes and looking at opportunities. And I I can't help but think some people say, well, it must be nice at Hopkins because you clearly have all these great programs and you've got great Dr. Elise Weirts out there and you've got all these, you know, speeds. We don't have that at our institution. Well, that may be the case. It still doesn't mean you can't go and put that cv in front of somebody's face or ask somebody to read their their grant application or ask somebody can i have a brainstorming a grant brainstorming meeting with you can i buy a cup of coffee and can we just talk so
2: that's that's a really good point it reminds me of a, of a, a key thing that so when i started that group it was a peer group i was doing it initially with other researchers who were at the same level or lower and um the idea that your associates at the same level can give you feedback, even if they're struggling, just having someone else read your work and someone else to bounce ideas off is really important. And you'll be amazed at how much um, feedback and information that is useful you'll get out of the experience. So in the, in the group that I teach now, everyone attends and everyone comments on everyone else's ideas, and it develops a better more refined research goal and a better application in the long run because they're getting so much feedback. I think you know the optimal of the group size is like six to eight because then you've got enough people in the group to give you feedback in an array of different things and, and enough um, density yeah. to make it you know, chug forward. But um, you can do it with your friends. It doesn't right. have to be a senior level person in the field giving you feedback. It can be your, your cohort of allies in research.